0: Blog Talk Radio. happy friday everybody welcome to the michael cutler hour i am your host michael cutler it is friday night it is november the 1st 2019 and as always it is a privilege and pleasure to join you i thank you for uh, listening to my program today Um, as you know the, the beat goes on and those of you familiar with me know that my usual focus is the impact of immigration on ever so many issues on America and Americans, and indeed we're going to talk about that. I also want to talk about the larger issues that we face, the uh, efforts to impeach President Trump, uh, the toxic political climate that we find around the country, and how it impacts America and Americans. You really need to talk about some of these issues, and I want to bring to bear some of my experiences as a former INS special agent. But to begin with, Um, I want to remind all of you that I wrote an article on October the 22nd for FrontPage Magazine, FrontPageMag.com. Schumer complains about ISIS terrorism, and then my subtitle, The Proven Master of Hypocrisy. My article uh, focused on how Chuck Schumer is running around saying, oh, my gosh, now that America withdrew its troops from Syria, ISIS uh, prisoners, ISIS terrorists who were in custody might get loose." And if they came loose, and I talked about it two weeks ago before my trip to Florida, I want to talk about that also, uh, being in Florida with Dennis Michael Lynch and Team DML. Amazing experience. But I just want to start out talking about Schumer's article or my article about Schumer doing this thing backwards. You know, it's remarkable that if you listen to the politicians, they all circle around the issue of immigration. Schumer saying, oh, my gosh, these ISIS terrorists may get fake passports and use them to travel to countries around Europe, our allies, and even come to the United States to carry out attacks. Foreign nationals who enter the United States with false passports are violating the laws that are fundamental to the enforcement of immigration law enforcement. So just think about that. The very same Democratic Party that says, let's do away with immigration enforcement it's leaders, Chuck Schumer is their leader in the United States Senate, is running around saying, we better be careful, ISIS terrorists may come here, and they may come with fake passports. But meanwhile, the Democratic Party has staked out a position that is antithetical to the security of our borders, the enforcement of our immigration laws. After the two thugs, the two pieces of trash, detritus, that were leading ISIS were taken out by our superb, incredible military men and women what did we hear we can't let our guard down they're liable to come to the united states and maybe even get behind the wheel of vehicles and kill lots of people we got to be careful and in fact we have the halloween parade yesterday in new york although it wasn't much of a parade i guess the weather was miserable 50 mile narrow gale force winds but in the run-up to that and we have the marathon talking about run up bad pun we have the marathon coming On Sunday, all we've been hearing from City Hall, from the mayor, from the police department, we're going to saturate the city with cops, thousands and thousands of cops. We're going to keep everyone safe by putting all of our police officers out there so you won't have to worry about the terrorists attacking Halloween, attacking the marathon. We need the cops out there. It's amazing. On New Year's Eve, it was reported that around 6,000 members of the New York City Police Department protected Times Square. 6,000. That's an interesting number. That's roughly as many ICE agents as we have for the whole country, and more than half of them aren't even doing immigration law enforcement. Let's remember the C and I stands for customs. So New York City puts out at one shot, boom, 6,000 men and women in the, in, in the, from the New York City Police Department to protect the city of New York at Times Square last New Year's Eve to make sure we're safe. The entire country effectively has fewer than it's uh, 3,000 immigration law enforcement personnel who focus on immigration violations and immigration investigations for so the whole country. Let's be careful. Let's not let down our guard. What guard? We don't have any guards. The border is wide open. A couple of weeks ago, the, the Senate, led by the Republicans, voted to end the crisis on the border. I've discussed this before. <laughs> the crisis on the border is over, folks. We can all go home. Try getting on an airplane. Think about that. And since they said that the crisis is over, El Chapo Guzman's son, if you remember, El Chapo Guzman was the drug kingpin who was successfully prosecuted in the Eastern District of New York because his cartel was running rampant, roughshod over Jackson Heights, Queens, New York, selling drugs. Uh, The violence that goes with it, the death that goes with it, 70,000 people died of heroin or, or at least opiate overdoses last year. The drugs that are used by gangs as a means of revenue and control. We're living in an incredibly corrupt and dangerous era. These people, as I pointed out about Schumer, lack mouth ear coordination. Their own ears don't hear what their own mouths. And forgive, as I said once in a while, they get phone calls when I'm on the air, but they'll have to call that guy back. So understand what's happened. They're clear about the need, they, the politicians, about the need to secure borders, protect us from terrorists, make sure they don't get behind the wheel of vehicles. And New York State gives out driver's licenses to illegal aliens whose identities can't be verified. Think about that. We have sanctuary policies that harbor and shield illegal aliens from detection by immigration law enforcement. And even the administration sometimes could do a better job of making the point because we're always hearing we've got to get the criminal aliens. In fact, when I worked with Al D'Amato to create the aggravated felon reentry law that makes unlawful reentry by criminal aliens, a 20-year maximum felony under federal law, not all people who come here who mean us harm have criminal histories. Terrorists and spies are taught, as they would say in the old submarine service, to run silent and run deep. Don't. Stick out. Somebody once said that an effective spy is somebody who wouldn't attract the attention of a waiter or waitress at a greasy spoon diner. And a point of fact, a waiter or waitress in that greasy spoon diner might well be either a spy or even a terrorist. I arrested an individual affiliated with terrorism who was working as a dishwasher in the back of a diner in Staten Island many years ago, back in the 1980s. So if an alien is here illegally and they don't have a criminal history, it doesn't mean they don't pose a threat to us. They could be sleeper agents. And in point of fact, we just had a sleeper agent uh, arrested who was living in the United States since 2000, actually became a naturalized United States citizen, and he had joined Hezbollah two or three years before he came to America in 2000, the year before the attacks of 9-11. When he was arrested, He was found in possession of photographs of locations that were being apparently targeted for terror attacks, possibly by Iran. This guy was affiliated with Hezbollah. Iran is frantic because of what President Trump has done, and he was right for doing it, saying we're not going to go along with this terrible deal that was cut by the Obama administration, ostensibly to prevent Iran from getting nuclear weapons. That deal would have guaranteed that Iran would ultimately get nuclear weapons. It would only delay it a bit. Delaying is not good. We're going to wake up one morning and find that Iran has nuclear weapons. Whether it's this year, next year, or three years from now, that, that puts us on the pathway to destruction. They're unstable. It is the country that sponsors more terrorists than any other country on the planet. And to put them on a course that would ultimately guarantee them that they will possess nuclear weapons is insane. It's a suicide pact. But their frustrations brought on by President Trump uh, creating sanctions, economic blockade, if you will, to try to dissuade them from their nuclear ambitions, caused them to use a drone to attack the Saudi oil refinery. And they've made it clear that America is in their sights. Within, a couple of, within the past couple of weeks, Iran has been talking about how they're stepping up their efforts to create weapons-grade uranium. I mean, they're clear about what they want. And the idea that we have arrested, when I say we, it's a collective we, the FBI, Homeland Security Investigations, the Division of ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, have arrested sleeper agents in the United States affiliated with Hezbollah, affiliated with Iran, Scoping out possible terror targets, and in fact, this particular terrorist that I'm mentioning also was found by our uh, intelligence community to have attempted to kill an individual that he thought was an Israeli agent operating overseas. Fortunately, he failed in his mission. This is the backdrop for all of this, and the key to protecting America lies in our ability to secure our borders and enforce immigration laws to make certain that that system has integrity. It has no integrity. And both parties have done this to us. And you have to be blind and stupid to not understand the dangers to be associated with open borders and a failure to enforce immigration laws. It impacts everything. And that's not to say keep out all the immigrants, but this is this, you know, sleight of hand, sleight of mouth that started with Carter that any alien who comes to America is supposed to be called an immigrant rather than alien. The term alien is a legal term that in the immigration and nationality is defined simply as being any person, not a citizen or national, of the United States. But by conflating the two terms, immigrant and alien, this false and very dangerous impression has been conveyed to the American people that if you dare suggest that we deport anyone, even criminals, rapists, terrorists, drug dealers, murderers, arsonists, you're anti-immigrants. If you dare suggest that we shouldn't let everybody into the country, you're a hater and a racist and a bigot and a xenophobe, my gosh, we lock our doors at night. You know, think about that. If you go to a bar and you misbehave, the bouncer will deposit you at the curb. If you walk into the Senate or House and misbehave, the sergeant-at-arms and the Capitol Police will take care of you. You'll be out quickly in handcuffs and probably prosecuted Uh, you know when you take a test in school there are proctors to make sure that everyone stays on the straight and narrow if you if you break into a house it's called breaking and entering it's not called visiting But by eliminating the distinction between lawful immigrants and illegal aliens, we undermine national security, we undermine public safety, we make it almost impossible for ICE to do its job. And it's hard enough because they have no agents because both parties want things to be this way. This is what I call immigration failure by design by both parties. It's a mess it's a mess and we the people have been at each other's throat for far too long if you look at the pollsters turn on the news the elections are coming you're going to see all these guys out there with their charts and their magic markers and their crayons and the lines go up and the lines go down and silly nonsense the polls survey says you know it's almost like the old family feud and they will tell you about the scientific survey that they've done the scientific polling what does that mean they're holding Test tube when they ask some people questions. If you look at the way the questions are asked, and if you look at what they focus on black voters, Latino voters, Jewish voters, Christian voters those are bogus and anti American uh, demographics. If you want to be rational and reasonable, it makes sense to talk about age. People like myself who are retired have very different concerns from young Americans who are grading out of college and starting their careers they worry about job security they worry about a host of issues will social security be around for them people who live on farms don't care much i don't think for ma- about mass transit but they worry about the price of soybeans and corn people who live in cities very much worry about mass transit people who have children are concerned about the educational system those who don't have children probably not as much So, you know, if if you want to look at demographics, there are plenty of rational, reasonable demographics to consider if you want to figure out where Americans stand on various issues. But what's happened in the last few decades, this notion of identity politics has reared its ugly head, and we've gone from e pluribus unum, out of many one, America the melting pot, to America that has been balkanized. We have flooded America with people who can't speak, read, or write English. In New York, I think you can speak one of 23 languages and get a driver's license. Why would you give someone a driver's license if they can't read the road signs? I would love, for example, to know how many accidents happen in a place like New York by licensed drivers, involving licensed drivers who couldn't read the road signs. You know, it's not just an optional sort of thing. Well, it would be nice if you could read the road signs. If you're barreling down the Jersey Turnpike, at 70 miles an hour, which is the typical speed, 70, 75, although the speed limit is 65. And there's a big sign flashing that says, you know, ice ahead, uh, not Immigration and Customs (laughs) Enforcement, but road ice, or fog ahead, or accident. If you can't read that and you go flying into a fog bank or you hit a patch of ice, or you hit oil that's on the road because you didn't know that the sign said accident ahead. maybe because of the accident there was some oil spilled on the highway how many people have been injured or killed because some guy couldn't read the roadside didn't know to slow down um, or was you know squinting at a sign that he couldn't read and was trying to figure it out but when he wasn't paying attention and plowed into another car these are the prices that we pay the congressional budget office did a study Back around 2006, and they said that to educate children who can't speak, read or write English costs 20 to 40 percent more than it would cost to, to, to educate a child who is English language proficient. These are big issues, not minor. They're big issues. And let's remember that every year we admit more than a million lawful immigrants. So we're now bringing in many, 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 many more. They impact jobs, they impact wages, it impacts national security, it impacts critical infrastructure, it impacts education, it impacts the healthcare system. And meanwhile, what we're hearing is oh, how dare you be anti immigrant? Pro enforcement is not anti immigrant, pro enforcement is not anti American. I would argue it's pro American and pro immigrant to say let's enforce the law. Because when bad guys move into the United States, when transnational gang members, whether it's MS-13 or Asian organized crime or the Italian mob, the Israeli mob, the Jamaican drug posses, I don't care. I've arrested those thugs from the four corners of the world during my 30-year career. Where do you think they live? Within the ethnic immigrant communities that most resemble who they are. So MS-13 moves into the Latino ethnic immigrant community. The Jamaican... Uh, drug uh, policies move into the caribbean communities you see and so it goes the italian mob the russian mob, they move into those ethnic immigrant communities who are most likely to suffer the violence and the crimes perpetrated by people who should never have been able to get access to the united states in the first place the saddest thing in the world is to see people legally come to america they're all excited wow opportunity is here freedom is here safety and security is here And then they wake up and find out that the same thugs who scared the hell out of them and made their lives miserable back in their home countries are living next door to them here in the United States. And the Democrats are saying, let's end ICE. Let's open up the borders, decriminalize immigration law enforcement. And the Republicans aren't far behind them because they don't want the border wall. They just voted that the crisis is over. By the way, if you want to think of those caravans that were headed for the United States, the caravans don't, or at least they're not reporting on it. You know, if the tree falls in the forest, there's no one there to hear it. doesn't it make a sound. The bigger question is if nobody reports on it, does anyone know the tree fell in the first place? But we don't see coverage of caravans. But still, even if the numbers are cut in half, we're still talking about 50,000 people being arrested by the Border Patrol every month. And we're still talking or not talking, as the case may be about the impact of those caravans that came here and the tens of thousands that joined these illegal aliens every single month. Today, if if an alien needs to go before an immigration judge, it may be years before that alien can get a hearing. Why? Because they don't have enough judges, and some of the judges they've hired that they've rushed into service have no qualifications or understanding of immigration that they should have to do the proper job of enforcing and administering immigration law it's a very special field of law. This isn't like a speeding ticket, although the other side would like you to believe it. What was very gratifying, I just mentioned a moment ago about the reentry law. I worked with Al D'Amato in the 80s to turn illegal reentry by criminal aliens into a separate and distinct crime. Up until then, any alien who got deported came back faced no more than two years in jail. The U.S. attorneys, for the most part, didn't want to be bothered. They said, hey, listen, by the time we get done prosecuting this guy and doing all that work, they're going to get time served, they'll be on an airplane, they'll be out of here. Today, with a maximum of 20 years in jail, this is an appealing prosecution. The work is minimal. If you do a major conspiracy investigation, you could wind up putting dozens of agents and millions of dollars and God knows how many uh, agent hours into the case wiretaps and by, you know paying informants and surveillance Reentry after deportation is a case you can put together in an afternoon. You have the person in custody, you fingerprint them, you run the fingerprints, you compare their fingerprints with the fingerprints on their executed warrant of removal or warrant of deportation, which is what it used to be called. And then you just check the system, the database, to make certain that the alien did not file for and receive permission from the Attorney General or from the Department of Homeland Security to re-enter the United States following deportation. You go to the grand jury, they give you a warrant, or they give you an indictment, rather, and then you go and arrest the guy. Game over. And what's your defense? I'm not really here. You could put together, and I have. Yeah, I have done this. In a day or two, you could put together a re-entry case, and the alien could be looking at five, six, eight, ten years in jail. It's cost-effective. It provides a deterrent against unlawful re-entry. And the Department of Homeland Security just released a statistic that makes me very happy, having worked on that section of law, on that law itself, in fact. Last year, more than 25,000, 25,000 aliens with criminal history were successfully prosecuted for unlawful reentry into the United States. 25,000 reentry cases prosecuted, most of those for criminal aliens. If you want to find solutions, we can find them. We need many more agents. We need more prosecutors. We need more judges. You're not going to get them because both parties, if you want to know where the collusion is, that's where the collusion is. But look at what is so unfortunate and so sad. Americans are at each other's throats because we're not even stopping to consider who our neighbors are. You're either with Trump or you're against Trump. You either want immigration anarchy or well, you want immigration law enforcement? We're so divided. We've never been this divided. When I was a kid, whether it was my parents or my friends' parents, everyone had disagreements. Nobody got angry. It wasn't nasty. You had one opinion. I had another opinion. Great, let's go have dinner. You know, I like vanilla ice cream. He likes pistachios. She likes chocolate. Great. Who cares? We are cutting ourselves into little pieces. This is a divide-and-conquer strategy being foisted on Americans by the media, by the politicians, divide-and-conquer. We're busy fighting among ourselves, and we don't realize the damage being done to us by people that we elected to represent us and our families to protect the country, to protect the Constitution, to guarantee a bright future for all Americans, and particularly if you're, if you're a parent for our children and for their children, because that's who we live for. When you're a parent, that becomes your number one concern, doesn't it? I've often argued that you cannot be a good parent if you're not involved in the political process. Much as I hate politicians and politics, and I'm sure you feel the same, so much of our future and the future of our kids and our nation are intertwined with the political corruption that we're facing in this country today. Campaign contributions are nothing more than bribes. Think about that. Think about that. You turn on the news and you find out how much money Bernie has amassed in his war chest and how much money, you know, uh, whoever, Pocahontas has amassed in her war chest. It's all about money, not about law, not about vision. And by pursuing this insane um, attack on going after the president with an impeachment, this thing is absorbing all of the attention of the media. So the Democrats don't have to step forward and say, well, this is my vision for America. This is what I want to do, and this is how I'm going to pay for it. You know, both Bernie and, uh, and Elizabeth Warren have come out and say, oh, health care for all. If you give health care to illegal aliens, you will turn America into the emergency room for the world. That means our hospitals will become overflowing, and they already are many emergency rooms. You may well find that we run out of um, – medicines that we need to treat sick people. I was on MSNBC before the craziness really set in, shortly after 9-11. I was averaging 15 to 20 television interviews each and every month. Frequently, believe it or not, folks at MSNBC, they were rational back then. So was CNN, especially when Lou Dobbs was there. I was a regular with Lou. But, you know, I, I remember when, when MSNBC started to veer off course. And We had the problem with the avian flu, if you remember that. And my microphone actually got cut off. I was furious because, you know, I was being mocked and they said, oh, you think if we put up a border wall, it'll keep the birds from coming here with the flu. What an absurdity. The point that I wanted to make is that we have limited doses of antiviral meds in our emergency rooms, limited amounts, not unlimited, but limited. And it's first come, first served. So if you have an open border and people from Mexico and other countries are ill or concerned about getting ill and they can get access to an emergency room, they get the injections, they get the meds. And when they run out of the meds, it may well be Americans who will pay the price because the meds will have been used to treat illegal aliens who flood the emergency rooms. And under uh, the decisions by the courts, You cannot turn anyone away from an emergency room. That's why the illegal aliens frequently use emergency rooms as their primary health care provider. Do you really want to entice people with dangerous diseases to come to America, possibly creating epidemics in America, and then using the meds that are needed to treat them when those meds may be in short supply? And before you say, oh, that sounds like xenophobia, oh, these terrible people bring diseases, how dare you say that?" Ellis Island was a quarantine station, folks. Ellis Island was a quarantine station. To this day, if you want to bring an animal to the United States, you will probably have to leave that animal in quarantine so they can make certain that the animal doesn't have certain diseases. If you come into the United States with fruits and plants and so forth, they will be destroyed for fear that those plants may well harbor insects or, or viruses and create epidemics in the united states this isn't a joke if you look at all the attention being paid to the measles outbreak and they're blaming the orthodox jewish community nobody is talking about how many aliens have come to the united states without being inoculated who have brought those viruses with them this isn't a matter of xenophobia goodness it's a matter of reality it's a matter of reality a reality that our crazy politicians refuse to accept It's dangerous, and here we are fighting among ourselves. And, you know, it was a wonderful experience to travel to Florida with DML, as he likes to call himself, Dennis Michael Lynch. I I have appeared in several of his documentaries. We just filmed the newest one just a few weeks ago. And meet with Americans who share similar concerns. And, and it was great to have conversations you know i do podcasts for dmlnews.com i'm happy to do it i write articles for them. and it when you're doing a podcast just like when i do this program i'm sitting in my office in my house and I'm, i don't know if i'm talking to myself but i have to tell you i do talk to myself quite a bit and the crazier it gets the more i talk to myself but seriously when you suddenly meet people and they say mr cutler Every Thursday morning, just Thursday at 10 a.m. East Coast Time, I do my podcasts for dMLnews.com, and, and they're telling me how every Thursday morning at 10 o'clock, they make sure they schedule time so they could, excuse me, sit down and watch my, my video podcast. It is so satisfying and to be able to meet with people and have them say, "Look, this is what I'd, I'd love to, to have you talk about. These are the issues that concern me, to get that feedback. Because this is a one-way conversation. It's better when it's a two-way conversation. And so some of the things that the people said to me, and really it was a great event that Dennis put together. It really was. I I felt like I was in a room with hundreds of my my newest best friends. But people will say things like, is there any way that you could possibly um, give me quick answers that I could give people when they argue with me about immigration? And, and I really don't like doing that. I don't want to give you talking points. We need to do more than spew talking points back and forth, throwing words at each other. Folks, we need to sit down with our neighbors, and we need to embrace them. And if they disagree with you, they're not your enemy. You know, people came up to me, and I, not just when well, I was in Florida last Friday, but I get this all the time. They say to me, Mike, do you know how many of my friends I've lost over Trump over immigration my friends that i've had for years don't talk to me anymore we've given up i have family members they don't talk to me anymore that's not the way it's supposed to be we've lost our minds we've lost our way we've lost our moral compass we've lost common sense along the way we're losing our democracy along the way lots of people are losing their lives along the way lots of people are losing their jobs and and the bright futures that they thought were theirs for having gone to college and investing so much time and money in their education. Now, all this is being undermined by greedy politicians who want those campaign contributions. That's why when I turn on the TV and I hear how much money has gone to which campaign, I really want to throw a brick through my television. Money, 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 money. We need a new position in the cabinet, the official auctioneer founding fathers were crystal clear we the people not we the companies we the ceos we the people and what's really funny about human nature we get hold of a slogan and it stays with us forever and we think it's true it's almost like this thing about goebbels and and, and the third reich the nazis tell a lie keep repeating it pretty soon people think it's the truth most of you are probably too young or i don't know maybe you're not too young to remember when they used to do television commercials on television. And and, and you could start the slogan, and everyone would finish it. Winston tastes good. And this, the follow-up is, like a cigarette should. And then back in high school, my teachers used to say, well, it shouldn't be like a cigarette should, but it's as a cigarette should. They were more worried about the grammar than the damage being done by cigarette smoke back then. So we, we learned to think in slogans. And the communists and totalitarian the totalitarian governments do this real well. Sloganism, a simple phrase and get everyone to repeat it. You know, thoughts of Chairman Mao. We do business with China. We give the most favored trade status. When the wall came down, the Berlin Wall came down, everyone said, communism is dead. And I thought these people are jackasses. Cuba is a communist country. It sits 90 miles off our shore. And China is the most populous nation on the planet. And it's a communist totalitarian regime. We build our factories there, we educate their students, we educate their programmers, they hack our computers, and they build their military, and they threaten us, and we continue the cycle until Donald Trump came along and said enough. And he's reined it in, and he's doing what he can through trade and and, and so forth to try to alter the trajectory of that dangerous so-called relationship. And my mom used to say one-sided relationships aren't relationships. Believe me, this is one-sided. Corporations are making money in the short term because they're greedy, but in the long term, they're going to be beat to hell by China that doesn't recognize intellectual property rights, and God forbid if they ever take over the world, the game is over. We're being attacked by by China. We're being attacked by Iran, by North Korea, and the politicians are saying, don't worry, folks, nothing to see here. No worries. Everything is under control. Oh, but by the way, if you're going to go to the airport, you could almost combine – a physical with with going through security. It's that thorough, and it seems to always get more thorough. The disconnect, staggering. But what's funny when you look at the slogans, and, and we tend to insult each other. And in fact, my my, my buddy Dennis, Dennis DML had, had talked about how people use these unflattering terms to describe Democrats and Republicans and. You know, I'll I'll see sometimes a response to an article that I write. They'll they'll refer to the Democrats or liberals as the libertards. And I want to scream. I'm a registered Democrat. I'm a labor guy. And people say to me, Mike, and especially my conservative friends, how could you be a Democrat? I mean, you want immigration enforcement. It was the conservatives that wanted open borders. It was the conservatives who wanted to flood foreign workers into the labor pool to drive down wages that's what the conservatives want nobody seems to get that the conservatives tended to represent business owners the democrats used to represent the working people i stand with the working people my dad was a tradesman a construction worker he was my biggest hero next to my mom donald trump sounds very much like the tradesman i grew up with he he came from the construction trades agreed he was the boss man's son But if you listen to some of his rallies, he talks about how he worked shoulder to shoulder with tradesmen on construction jobs. There's an apartment house less than a mile from my house. One of my best summers, I wish I could get into a time machine and just get one day back. My dad used to take the car and drive about 15 blocks to this construction site where they were working on a a big apartment house. And I used to go there during the summer on my bicycle. I was 15 years old, and there was a little grocery store across the street. So I used to get the, the men sandwiches and coffee and soda, and then I'd bring the bottles back for the deposit, and they would give me tips for getting, me the, getting them the food. And I was making pretty good money in those days, $10, $12 a day. And back then, to be 15 years old and make $12 a day, was amazing but what was most amazing and i could get emotional about it was it also meant that i got to spend the day with my father and that was a big deal really big deal and i remember one day my dad said to me you think it's easy to do my work he had me with his supervision and all the men from the job came over to watch it was a riot that's the day i really want back if if, if a miracle could be done and i actually put in a string of toilets in one line in that apartment house over the front entranceway. First floor, second floor, third, fourth, fifth, sixth floor. And the foreman came by and everyone thought it was a riot watching me. And every time I finished one, they'd get a round of applause and they'd run up to the next floor and, and install the next one. And my father keeping watchful eye to make sure I did it right. I was fifteen years old. Construction workers do dangerous, filthy, back breaking, hard work. They are the underpinning of our society. They are at the basis of our society. And so how in the world are you supporting labor when you bring in foreign workers who displace these tough American workers? It's outrageous. And then we hear all these crazy things people say they don't even know what they're saying. People repeat things without giving it any thought. You know, I remember when my mom passed away. I was 21 years old. My father had already died. I had no brothers and sisters. I had some relatives, but they could have cared less about my situation. So at age 21, it was me against the world, and the only person, or really not a person, who stood at my side was my dog Georgie girl. It was the two of us. That was it. And I lived in the house I'm in now. That's why I I don't want to move, because this was always my fortress. When I walked through that door at night, I felt safe and secure. This was the house my parents had bought. And my friend came to pay a condolence call the day that I buried my mother. And he didn't mean anything by it. I know he didn't. He was my friend, but he got me so angry, it forever um, impacted our relationship, my friendship with him. Of all the things he could have said to me, he walked into my house. His mother on one arm, his father on the other arm. He had a brother and he had a sister. And he said to me, I know what you're going through. How in the world could you know what I'm going through? Uh, Even if we've lost family members, if, if a man is widowed and his friend loses his wife, you can't say I know what you're going through because we all experience life differently. Relationships are unique. I have four children. I love them to death. I love them equally, but I love them differently because relationships are unique. But we, 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 we go into these slogans. We say all these dumb things because everyone says it. So he said to me, Mike, I know what you're going through. And it was hurtful. And here I am 50 years later, still smarting from that. And it's not that I, I bear a grudge or anything, but it's like, why would you say that? I mean, thank God your parents are alive. Mine aren't. You don't know what I'm going through. We say stupid things. So one of the phrases that I hear is so – that I I think is so stupid is you'll hear the conservatives say, oh, the liberals, their feelings rule them. They're all about their feelings. What an insult. They're all about their feelings. Is it better to be cold-blooded and heartless? Your feelings are important to you. What's wrong with you? You're supposed to be cold-blooded and mean-spirited. So not long ago, a woman said to me, oh, those Democrats, they're ruled by their feelings. I said, well, you know, I'm a Democrat. And she didn't know what to say. And I asked her, I said, are you married? She said, yes. I said, if you don't mind my asking, did you marry your husband by taking out a spreadsheet and doing the math? Or did you marry him because you love him? She said, that's ridiculous. Of course I married him because I love him. I said, wait a minute. You made a life decision based on your emotions? you have feelings wow this poor woman turned red as a beat i I, said what does it mean when you say the democrats are allowing their feelings to rule them you made a lifelong commitment based on feelings not facts from what you're saying love is a feeling it's not a fact we are at our best when we're compassionate we should be compassionate and I want you to know that I don't hate illegal aliens, you know? I've want to be. Cl- i had people come up to me and say, they're criminals, they're this, they're that. Let me tell you, I've arrested thousands of people as an agent, most of them for violating our immigration laws. And, yes, if you're a criminal and you come to the United States and you're doing some serious crime, I do hate you. I really do. You try to stay objective as, as a law enforcement officer. That's where you want to get the emotions out of the equation so that you act – objectively dispassionately and consistently that's very important very important never take it personal when you start allowing your ego and emotions to get into an arrest you can make some very poor choices and wind up in a lot of trouble but in terms of my feelings towards people who come illegally to work the problem is you don't know if that's the only reason they're here just because someone doesn't have a criminal history doesn't mean they're not a sleeper agent or they they might not be might be a fugitive because they've committed heinous crimes elsewhere you don't know so you never, ever let your guard down when you're arresting someone who's illegally in the United States. I've arrested people working in factories who had escaped from federal penitentiary here in the United States because I was a murderer. You know, believe it or not, his boss, and I've spoken about it on this program before, the boss thought this guy was the salt of the earth, the nicest guy in the world. But in terms of arresting illegal aliens, so many of these people are so desperate, so desperate. That they've risked their lives to come here because they're trying to feed their families. Now you say, well, if that's the case, why would you want to send them home? Well, the problem is we're talking about the potential for unlimited numbers of people to come to America to take the jobs, and that would cause us to collapse. The United States should be thought of as a lifeboat. I was on one American News Network two days ago. We went and taped a segment. They'll be airing it all weekend, I believe. And we were talking about how the Trump administration extended temporary protective status to El Salvadorans in the United States. I believe tens of thousands of people were talking about. And I said I was kind of surprised they did that because we really need to end TPS. You know, the, I said, whatever happened to the T in TPS? The T stands for temporary. And so I made another point And the reporter, a very nice young lady, she's new with, with One American News, was surprised when I said it. I said, but I want you to think about something. It makes sense that when there's a tsunami, a hurricane, an earthquake, a volcano, some national catastrophe, that you don't have people who are in the United States go home to a disaster. The housing is done. The infrastructure is gone. There's no running water. There's no electricity. You can't send people back to that. That's the idea of TPS, temporary protective status. But what I don't understand, and I want you to think about this because nobody ever thinks about anything behind the scenes or behind the slogan Why would you allow people who are construction workers to remain in the United States when there's a national catastrophe in their home country? When a country suffers a national catastrophe, what do they need to do once they got done looking for the bodies and rescuing those who could be saved? They need to rebuild. Why would you have foreign construction workers allowed to remain in the United States to put roofs on houses in Brooklyn, when they need to be back in their home country, rebuilding the homes that were destroyed in their home country. Nobody ever stops to think. The Chamber of Commerce wants an unlimited supply of cheap, foreign, exploitable labor and customers for whatever it is they, people are selling and so forth. It's all about the money. If you really look at the emotions, and we should look at the emotions, it's the emotions that cause me to do this program every Friday night. It's my emotions that caused me to go before Congress without permission, and that was the end of my career. It was my emotions that got me on that airplane to go to Florida with, with the DMLnews.com, uh, with Team DML. What emotions? Rage. Rage. Fury. Why am I enraged? Our politicians have let us down, and they let us down every day of the week that has a Y in it. After the terror attacks of 93, I testified at a hearing in 1997, May 20th, about visa fraud and immigration benefit fraud because of those attacks. First, the shooting at the CIA by a Pakistani by the name of Kansi, who killed two CIA officers, wounded three others, and then fled the country. He was brought back, put on trial, found guilty, and executed. But the dead remained dead. And then we had the first bombing at the Trade Center in February of 93. Six dead, 1,000-plus injured, half billion in damages. And the lessons that shouldn't, should have been learned weren't, and then we wind up with 9-11. And after 9-11, if you look at the testimony from John Hostetler, at the time the Republican chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, his words, the way DHS was put together, even after we came to understand that it was multiple failures of the immigration laws that enabled 9-11 to happen, the way DHS was cobbled together, together by the Bush administration gave us immigration incoherence. And made it impossible to secure the borders, enforce the laws, or protect Americans. What motivates me every morning is anger and rage. Those aren't good emotions. But that's why I do what I do. If I had no emotion, I would have no passion. If I had no passion, I'd be watching television right now. You see. So when people say to me, oh, those liberals, oh, my God, they're ruled by their emotions, their feelings. Huh? If you don't have emotions and you don't have feelings and you don't have passion, check for a damn pulse. Figure out what it is that you've done with your life. We should all have emotions. We should all have sympathy and empathy for everybody, for everybody. If all you're going to do is do the math and see what's profitable and what isn't profitable, then you're part of the problem, not part of the damn solution. Because it was the corporations that didn't give a damn about America or Americans who flooded America with cheap labor in the first place because they knew the best way to drive down wages and maximize profits. So that while in the 50s the average CEO made maybe 50 times what the average worker made that worked for him. Today, the average CEO makes well over 500 times what his average worker earns or her average worker earns, because they have lost their emotions. All that they're guided by is unbridled greed. And that should make everyone here pissed off. You see, if we sat down as Americans and stopped this nonsense about left and right and Hillary and Trump and Pelosi and all this other crap, Just look at the issues. Just look at the issues. Does it make sense to bring in more foreign workers than the number of jobs we're creating? Does it make sense to flood schools with kids who can't speak, read, or write English so that we have to spend more and more money on English as a second language while ignoring the needs of American students, particularly American students who have learning disabilities? Does it make sense to permit people to flow across our borders, perhaps bearing dangerous diseases, that can make us sick and sicken our children and hurt people does it make sense to shield people who snuck into the country from detection because they might be involved with gangs or terrorism or crime or at the very least have a negative impact on on jobs and wages does it make sense it doesn't make sense but look at the people who make out on it and look at the damage it does Homelessness is a growing problem, and part of it is linked to mental illness. Part of it is linked to drug use and drug abuse. 70,000 people died last year of opiate overdoses, drugs pouring across the borders. If you really want to know how secure the borders are, forget about immigration arrests. I think I've mentioned it before, Well, I'm certainly going to mention it again tonight. The best metric for border security has nothing to do with border patrol arrests. Those are absurd. You can interpret those arrests any way you want. What percentage get arrested? What percentage get away? If there's more arrests, does it mean the Border Patrol is doing a better job? Or does it mean more aliens are coming in illegally or trying to get in illegally? We have no idea. You can twist those numbers any way you want. Figures don't lie, but liars can figure. Okay? Figures don't lie, but liars can figure. Always remember that. The best metric to determine border security is the price and availability of the poisons like heroin and cocaine, because they are not manufactured here, so every gram of that garbage had to have been smuggled into the United States. That's the real metric of border security, or lack thereof. Today, the demand for heroin is at an all-time high, and it could not be cheaper. That flies in the face of conventional economic wisdom that talks about supply and demand. As the demand goes up, the price goes up. The only way that the demand can go up and the price can stay the same or go down is if you have an unlimited supply, which means no goddamn border very simple think i have some emotion going here i do and so should you and don't tell me oh cutler is ruled by his feelings i have feelings of nausea and disgust over our elected representatives so-called and so should you and i don't give a damn if you have a little r or a little d after your name or you're an independent we are not being represented we're being shafted. And we need to sit down with our neighbors and talk about the issues and stop insulting each other. You know, as my mom would have said, play nice, huh? I had a boss that used to say that before we hit the street to make arrests. Play nice. And we used to laugh. It was a joke between us and one of the best bosses I ever had, a guy by the name of Vinny Ash. Play nice. As Americans, we should be playing nice. We should be empathetic. And when someone says to you, I feel bad for those people, that's the guy you want as a friend. I'm sincere about this. I really am. You know, I remember one day I arrested a young man. He was here illegally. He was emaciated. If this kid needed an x-ray, all you had to do was hold him up in front of a street light, The light would have shone through his body. And on my way into the office, I stopped at a kosher deli. I mean, what else do you do when you're in Brooklyn or New York, you know? And I bought him an overflowing roast beef sandwich and a can of soda and a potato knish, which I'm sure he never had any of the above. And we pulled the car over, and I took off his handcuffs, and I let him have the sandwich. I don't know how he did it. I think he devoured the sandwich in about four bites. He ate it more like my, my pup would have eaten a meal than, than, than a person. He, he kind of just devoured it. He just kind of inhaled it. And he sat in the back of the car burping all the way into the office. And he kept thanking me. And it choked me up. And he said to me, that's the best food I've eaten in my whole life. Would I have minded if he stayed here? No, I wouldn't. I'm going to be honest with you. The problem is, We're talking about the potential for hundreds of millions of people who are in a similar plight. And when we allow America to be used as a safety valve for corrupt regimes around the world, for oligarchies, all we do is make it that much easier for the corrupt practices of those terrible countries to continue. What we're doing is shielding those countries from the responsibility that they have to their own citizens. We're getting shafted. The people who live in those terrible countries are getting shafted, and there's not going to be any change in those countries until the people in those countries demand the change just the way we need to demand the change. Please understand what we're talking about. Please understand that as human beings, we should be compassionate towards one another, and we're not, and we're not. I've had people come up to me and say, well, I'm able to make it. Anyone else can. That's their problem let me tell you there but for the grace of god go any one of us i don't know what would have happened to me if i didn't walk across the campus at brooklyn college on the day when they were giving the federal service entrance exam the FSEE. i had no idea they were giving that exam and i saw some friends standing online i thought it was a protest this was during the vietnam war era and i said what is this another protest what are you doing protesting my friends who were on, on this line I knew weren't involved in that stuff. And they laughed, and they said, no, 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 we're taking the Federal Service entrance exam. Why don't you take it? And I said, oh, I've got a date tonight. He says, come on, Mike, you got a job lined up when you get out of here? And I didn't, and I was on my own. I was 21 years old. Think about that. And I said, you know, you're right. Maybe I should take the test. I got lucky. I scored in the top 2% in the country on the exam, and, and that's how I became a federal agent. Because I was walking across the campus, saw a mob scene outside of Ingersoll Hall on the campus of Brooklyn College, and I walked in and took a six-hour, as I remember, it was a six-hour test. I walked out of there feeling as though my brain had been drained. I actually left out the last two pages of the math part. I gave up. I had had it. I was fried. But it was done on a bell curve. So it was percentiles, not percentage. Um, and, And I got lucky. What would have happened if I didn't take the test or if I didn't do well on it? I I have no idea. I did all right, you know, considering. I'm happy. I, I, I look back at my life with a sense of satisfaction. But nobody has guarantees. We are our brother's keeper. And you don't give money to charity when your own children are going to bed hungry at night. When people feel compassion, they ought to be feeling compassion for Americans first. It upsets me that there are some people who feel they have to travel halfway across the world to adopt a child. The Hollywood crowd is big on this. They'll go to some country, you know, eight thousand miles from the United States to adopt a child. Why don't they go to Harlem or, or Chicago or, or Appalachia, where American children are living in horrible circumstances? Why are we have we become such self hating Americans? Why in the world have we done this to ourselves? Why do we allow ourselves to be divided and conquered the way we are? We really need to sit down with our neighbors and have a heart-to-heart conversation. Um, That's really where we're going wrong. We, the people, need to remember that we're in this together. You know, I I was so fired up after um, participating in that event last weekend. I remember I was at the terminal at the airport getting ready to get on the airplane. I was wearing my miniature immigration agent's badge. And somebody said to me, what's that? And I told them, we got into this conversation. And there happened to be a black lady there and a white lady and this other gentleman and so forth. And, And I said to them, think about the pollsters who've divided this country up into little pieces, black voter, white voter, Jewish voter, Christian voter. And I turned to the black lady. I said, you're an American, aren't you? She said, yes. I said, do you think that because you're a woman and black and probably Christian, that you have different goals, concerns, and values than I do because I'm a white man and I'm Jewish? She said, that's ridiculous. And I turned to this other woman. I said, I'm going to guess you're Christian. She said, I am. I'll ask you the same question. Do you think that we're different? She said, of course not. I said, but when you watch the news and you listen to this crap about black voters and white voters and Jewish voters and Latino voters... Have you ever stopped to think how wrong that is, how anti-American that is, how dangerous that is? She said, I've never thought of it, but I'm going to. And what was really cool was when I was getting on the airplane, I happened to pass the black lady. She had this big smile. Roughly, I would say she was in her 60s. And she grabbed my hand as I passed to go to the seat because I was seated towards the back of the airplane. And she patted my hand and said, thank you so much for opening my eyes. I'm not going to forget our conversation. We need to focus, ladies and gentlemen, not on what makes us different, but what makes us similar. We all have similar dreams and similar worries and similar aspirations and similar hopes for ourselves and especially for our children and for their children. As Americans, we need to focus on the common ground not the divisive garbage that's being foisted on us to tear us apart. If we want to be united, we should be united against the crooked politicians. Forgive the redundancy in that terminology and the nonsense news organizations that have become nothing more than the Ministry of Truth right out of the pages of 1984. You know what they're saying is that united we stand, divided we fall. We better get united. We better be looking at each other not as what our political party affiliation is or what our color is or what our religion is. Focus on the fact that we're all Americans and that we're in this together. We have a shared future and a shared destiny, and that requires pulling together and ignoring and rejecting those who would separate us. In my humble opinion, that's what we really need to do as good Americans, as good parents, As good neighbors. As always, I want to thank you for spending uh, this past hour with me. If you like my program, I hope you'll tell more people about it. Please check out my website at michaelcutler.net. Go to dmlnews.com, frontpagemag.com. And, uh, folks, I look forward to speaking with you again next week, right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. But meanwhile, folks, I really want you to remember one fundamental fact. Democracy is not a spectator sport. We have got to get involved. Elections are coming. Politicians need to be made accountable. And most importantly, they need to come to find out that we're not the fools that we hope that we are. See you next week. Have a great weekend.